Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I have some questions for you. I want to know, how do you differentiate yourself in a crowded market? Or what are some ways to have a small team and still get big results? And have you ever thought of any interesting and unique go-to-market strategies? Well, you're going to hear about all of that and more today. This is Sastry in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I am delighted to be joined by my special guest, Ashutosh Priyadarshi. Ashutosh, how are you doing? Pretty good, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Absolutely. The pleasure is mine as well. Let me tell you all about Ashutosh. This guy is super, super sharp. He's a founder of Sansama, and that's an invite-only daily task manager. I looked my way through this thing, and it looks really, really slick. So we're going to talk about that. He also previously was the co-founder of Walkback. So he has entrepreneurship in his blood. So once again, Ashutosh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, let's do this. Let's talk about some, some tactics. I love it. I love it. So tell me, what have you been up to lately and what's coming up? Yeah. So I've been working on Sansama for quite a bit of time now, actually seven years. And yeah, Sansama is basically a daily planner for busy professionals. And we pull together all of your tools in one place and give you a single place to plan your day. And so, you know, day in, day out, we're, we just focus on making a, a really good product. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. That's awesome. So can you explain that a little bit more? Because I looked through it. It grabs things like Trello and does it do your mail? How does that all work? Yeah. So what Sensama does is when you log on each morning, it basically walks you through a step-by-step daily planning flow. So it's a kind of four-step process that first asks you to sort of pull in you know, your meetings and then pull in tasks that you might have. So your tasks could be Trello cards, they could be Jira tickets, GitHub pull requests, even emails that you have that might take you, you know, 15 minutes to respond to because you need to review a document, et cetera. So what you can do in Sensama is stitch all of that stuff together and get it onto your calendar. So the big idea with Sensama is you've got all these tools that have all these tasks you could do someday, but what you're doing in Sensama is figuring out, hey, these are the things that I actually can get done today. And Sensama helps you sort of create that calm and focused plan for the day. That's so important because I have that myself. I'm like, oh man, I've got all these things I want to get done. And I kind of get hectic during the day and I finish one. I'm like, what do I do next? Or maybe I'll do this and then I forget about it and go over here. A lot of ADD. So it seems yeah. like it solves all of that. Yeah, exactly. The, the idea is sort of if you can take the time to be kind of thoughtful and intentional about what you want to do throughout the day, the workday just feels calmer and you end up sort of getting more important stuff done. Because if you don't take the time to plan stuff out, what happens is you finish one task and you're like, oh, what should I do next? And you repeat that process 10 times in a day. And each one of those little gaps where you're trying to figure out what to do is just another opportunity to get distracted by your inbox or Twitter or whatever your flavor of digital distraction is. So you sort of steal yourself against distraction when you actually take the time to plan out your day intentionally at the start of the workday. I think it's smart. I love that idea of steal yourself away because I find myself, ooh, a new email came in, even though it's not an important email or, oh, I got a Slack message or LinkedIn. Somebody just LinkedIn messaged me. And that happens all the time and it pulls me away from what I'm doing. And I, I read somewhere, somebody told me that if you're working, if you get pulled away, it takes like five to 10 minutes to actually get back into your work. So every single time you're wasting a lot of minutes, a lot and eventually adds up to a lot of hours. Sounds like Sansama's solving all of that. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think the what you described is 
is what it is to be a human, really. It's like we're sort of drawn to novelty. And now the kind of input sources for novelty during the workday are ever expanding and growing. And so it's sort of more and more important to sort of create a buffer. And the way you do that is not by saying, you know, I'm never going to check Twitter, or I'm never going to check LinkedIn, but you do it by saying, hey, these are the things that I think are important and that I want to get done today. And when you sort of set that in your mind, you naturally kind of feel this like, hey, I don't want to really get distracted by Twitter because I decided that this thing I want to do today is really important and I want to get it done. That's beautiful. I think focus is so important. How did you guys come up with the idea for Sinsama? Yeah. So my co-founder, Travis, and I, we kind of started on this journey actually seven years ago. We had both just finished working for a year after graduating school. And we met up and we were talking about, you know, I was working at a tiny little startup and he was working at a huge professional services company. And the one thing we found in common was, you know, we were basically being paid for our time and the best tool that we had to be intentional and sort of thoughtful about what we were going to do each day was Google Calendar. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at that point, we're like, you know, we're going to be working for for another 40 years sitting behind computers, it feels totally unacceptable that this is going to be the tool that we use to sort of guide ourselves through our workdays for the rest of our working lives. And so we just wanted to build something better. It's fantastic. Necessity, the mother invention. I love it. So tell me, it's a productivity app. How do you differentiate yourselves from other productivity apps? Seems like a crowded market, but yeah, you guys are seeing success. How do you do that differentiation? Yeah, we just focus on what we think we do uniquely well compared to other products. So we don't try to be a project planning tool. We don't try to be a team collaboration tool. We try to be the best daily planner for busy professionals. And actually, when you look at that, there's not a lot of products that are trying to be sort of exactly that. So we've kind of honed in on what's sort of special about us and just try to do that really well. And and the way that ends up sort of manifesting in the product is, you know, we kind of expect that you'll use Sansama with other tools like Google Calendar, with Asana, with Jira, with those integrations. And we let those tools do what they do best. You know, Jira is going to be a great way for engineering teams to manage their tickets. We don't try to step on their toes. We just try to do what we need so that we play nicely with Jira or Asana or Google Calendar. So that's kind of the approach that we've taken. That's great. And it's not even just play nicely with them. It's almost like make it you more efficient when you're using all of those, right? Yeah. And really what we try to do is like, we look at a product like Jira or any number of these sort of project management tools. And we say like, okay, if you are kind of an individual contributor at a company that uses this tool, what do you need from this tool on a day-to-day basis? And how do we deliver that to you? Because what, you know, Atlassian is doing or Asana is they're always sort of moving up market and you know, they're selling to COOs and they're selling to like big corporations. And so their focus in their user experience and the product is really like, how do we make this really compelling to management? But at the end of the day, the people who actually have to do those tasks, you know, they may be managers in some respect, but they're also, you know, interacting with the product differently than how you would sell the product. And so Sensama is really like, okay, if I need to deal with all of these tasks that are in this product, but just see what's relevant for my day, how do I get that done? So it's, it's kind of like we're a different view into those products. Awesome. So I know that the product is an invite-only product. So what was the goal behind that strategy and has it worked out for you? Yeah, it's actually worked quite well for us. One of the reasons we did that is because it was a very effective way for us to identify who our 
sort of best customers would be. One of the challenges you have when you're building something as open-ended as a productivity product, and we actually built six or so different productivity products before this one, iterated on them and sunsetted them, was that pretty much everybody wants to be more productive. And so what you'll have happen is anybody and everyone will kind of sign up for your product and use it and give you very sort of divergent feedback, which makes it very hard to really identify who is getting significant value out of it and what you should build. And so the invite only creates sort of a, you know, it makes it such that the people who really need your product end up coming through the funnel and using the product. And then it creates sort of a virtuous cycle where the feedback you're getting from those people is actually making your product better for your target customer. So it's another opportunity to just kind of focus. And, you know, it has other very sort of tangible effects. For example, when your product is invite only, you just have less people showing up. So you have less customer support volume and you can actually provide high quality customer support to the people who do show up and build the things that they want. So it has a lot of benefits in that sense. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Hearing you say it, I think there's some really neat pros in there. So is that something that you guys are going to continue to do? I think we will, at least in the near term, as we continue kind of figuring out exactly sort of what are the specific bits that make Sensama special. But, you know, in the long run, we would definitely want to make it easier for just anybody to sign up. But we're not really quite ready for that because we're still a really small team. We're just five people. So sort of managing how we grow is actually important to us. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, five people, but you guys are already doing great. You've generated the better half of a million dollars in revenue. So what are you doing to make sure that that team is filling all the gaps and serving the needs of the growth and your customers so that you can get these types of results? Yeah, I think one of the things that we focused on when we were hiring was just finding people who could truly be totally autonomous in their work. So they're able to make decisions about like, here's how this interface should look. Here's how it should be built on the front end. Here's how it should be built on the back end. And I'm comfortable, you know, talking to customers and discussing how they want to iterate on this new feature that I'm shipping and then incorporating those things in. So, you know, we kind of see everyone on our team as almost like a founder themselves in a lot of ways. And that's kind of allowed us to be to do this with a small team without having like a lot of specialization. And it allows, you know, each person on the team to just like go and, and run with things and build them. And I think the other thing that happens, which is always counterintuitive, it's like when you have less resources, you find really creative ways to get things done. It kind of reminds me of when we built Sensama for the very first time, we actually built the product in two-day sprints. So every two days, we shipped a new version. And we tried to tackle sort of really aggressive features like building integrations. It's like, how do you build an integration with another task management tool in just two days? And it forces you to think very creatively about validating problems and figuring out what's the minimum thing you can build to move forward. So I think in the same way, it's like when you have a small team, as if you have a small time window to build things, it's just an interesting forcing function to to really focus on the problems that are the most essential. Absolutely. I, I love what you said there right at the beginning. You mentioned autonomy. Make them autonomous. Give them responsibility. Show them where they need to go and let them do their thing. I mean, that is fantastic leadership. It allows you to continue to focus on what you've got to take care of, but it makes them feel great and gives them the ability to take ownership on 
their role and their responsibilities. And it usually yields, as long as you get great people on the team, it usually yields fantastic results. So it seems like that's worked really well for you. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I think it's more fun to work in an environment where everybody is, you know, highly competent or more competent than me. And you just feel like, wow, this is like, I'm inspired working with these people who are really good at what they do. And it just pushes the level of everyone. Absolutely. We've talked about that. So having a small team, giving them autonomy, showing the leadership that they can take over, they can take ownership. We talked also about the go-to-market strategy of invite only. What other steps have you taken building this company, Ashutosh, that you really appreciated that you think you have done well? That's a good question. One of the most interesting things that I think we've done and, and is actually becoming quite popular now and for good reason is that we started by manually onboarding every single customer. And so in the early days, in order to actually use the product, you had to both pay upfront and also get on a call with either myself or my co-founder, Travis. And we would actually spend a half hour with each and every new customer, like teaching them how to use the product best. And no sort of single thing has been more instructive about what we should build and what we're building and why than doing that. It was something that kind of YC pushed us to do when we were in Y Combinator, which was like, you know, just onboard your customers manually. But it's one of those things where having done it, you can't even predict the ways in which it will change how you think about the product you're building and the customers you're building for it. Like there's no sort of replacement for it. And that's something that we've kept doing in a different capacity now. So instead of doing every single customer, I have a one day a week where I talk to a bunch of different customers who have already started using the product and just watching how they're using the product, learn from them. And the ways in which that informs what you build next and why is just really sur- always surprising and exciting. I love it. And I want to make sure everybody hears that. So everybody out there, listen to this man. I get clients coming to her, maybe even before their clients, founders, they come to me and they say, hey, we don't really want to sell ourselves. We don't really want to do the sales. We don't really want to do the onboarding ourselves. We just want somebody to come in and do it for us. And I say, no, in your early days, when you get started, it is critical for you to do your sales process, even your onboarding process yourselves. Because it's so important for you to hear from your, your market exactly what they're looking for. It just makes that product market fit so much tighter, so much better. You can understand exactly the dynamics of what your best prospects are looking for, your best customers are looking for. It makes it easier to direct roadmap. It makes it easier to direct your sales process and your onboarding process so that you can get that company off the ground and running because there, you might get advice, or you might get guidance from that and learning from that maybe shifts you a little bit. But even beyond that, the next step is now that you've done that and you've been in the trenches like that, Ashutosh, you know that when you hire people to come in for those positions, you know what they should and shouldn't be doing. You know the right method, the right process to do that correctly because you've lived it. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think. And that's, you know, when we hired a few more people to join our team, that was like a big point of emphasis, which was we want to give you access to, you know, ways to talk to customers, whether it's customer support or other things, because the thing that makes you truly autonomous is when not you're picking tasks off of a queue, but that you're feel like you're solving customer problems. 
And if I could add something, I think you said something really interesting, which is like, there's always this hesitation about not wanting to go and sell. You feel that, you know, oh, I just want to like make this thing. And I think that's definitely something Travis and I felt as, you know, we're both engineers by training. We're not really salesy types. And what we did even before we onboarded people to our product was we found a number of, I think it was about like five or six batchmates in our YC batch. And we would call them every morning at like 9, 9.30 and 10. Like we had it kind of separated out. And we would just talk them through the process of planning out their workday on the phone. Like no product, nothing, which was fundamentally the problem we were trying to solve with our product. And so it's like, if you don't want to sell something, that's fine. Just start by trying to actually talk to your customer and solve their actual problem. And then worry about building a product and selling it after that. And just, you know, spending those 15 minutes on the phone with those people, again, pre-product was extremely instructive as to what to do. And it never felt like selling, right? It was just like, hey, I'm going to be your personal sort of assistant and help you plan out your workday. I, I think it's amazing because you just said some really, really great things I want to make sure everybody understands. You didn't say, what can we do to sell this the most? You went out and talked with your market, talked with your potential customers, and you said it, how can we solve their problems, right? How can we fix and help them? So that is exactly what you need to do from a product perspective. That's exactly what you need to do from a marketing perspective, from a sales perspective. Try and figure out how you can help. How can you solve the problems of your perfect customer? Not how am I going to sell to them? Because, and I had Dan Tyre on my podcast recently, one of the early guys at HubSpot, and he said, don't sell, help. So it, it aligns perfectly with your line of thinking there, Ashutosh. And I think it's really critical for people to understand that. The second piece of that is you should be talking with your customers at every stage, pre-product, during build-out, post-product and launch, even when you're growing, you're scaling, you're releasing new stuff. You should be talking with your customers and your potential customers often to be able to understand what's going on out there and, and what's needed. Yeah, I agree. And I think the hardest part about that bit of advice of help your customer don't sell is that you hear it so often. And it's like, what does that really mean? And I think for me, it's been helpful to see sort of concrete examples along the way of what types of things you can actually do, whether it's like in the early stages of pre-product or, you know, another example that comes to mind is at some point we're like, hey, we should add like drip campaigns to our product because everybody adds drip campaigns to improve retention. And that's like another example where instead of just like trying to remind your user to use your product, you should really be thinking about like, okay, what is the problem that they're trying to solve? And as a result, one of our most successful features ever of all time is our drip email campaign because you know we took the time to figure out like, okay, what's the customer's problem? Oh, they want to learn about how to be more sort of productive and focused each day. So I think if you take the time to not just do the things that you think you're supposed to and think about it as how can I help the customer solve their problem, uh, it always works out better. But it's hard to do because the advice is just so, it's like, yeah, of course, I'm helping the customer and not selling. Uh, but you have to be really honest with yourself, I think. You absolutely do. And it's really hard. Like you said, it's hard to do because especially in the early days when you have no money and you're poor and you're eating ramen every day and you haven't generated the revenues you're hoping to generate, you want anybody in your system that you can get. So it's it takes a lot of discipline to continue to do that. And then beyond, once you actually do start scaling, you start hiring a team, you have salespeople, it takes a lot of education and coaching to make sure that they continue to do that because you do not want your salespeople to go out and push stuff that you can't deliver 
that makes for a nightmare customer that can bring a lot of challenges. So discipline, education, that is super important to make sure that you can continue to help and not sell. And the good news is for everybody saying, I don't know, I don't know. If you do it, trust me, you actually sell more because people recognize that people have a sixth sense. They understand if you're trying to sell them versus trying to help them. And you're actually going to sell much better. Don't you agree? Definitely. People can smell it from a mile away. (laughs) I agree. Well, this has been really, really awesome stuff. And once again, everybody, we've been talking with Ashutosh Priyadarshi. He is the founder of Sansama. So Ashutosh, how can everybody get in touch with you and learn more? Yeah. If you want to reach out to me, feel free to email me. Uh, It's just my first name at sunsama.com. That's S-U-N-S-A-M-A. Dot com or you can find me on Twitter. Just Google my name. I'll be there. There's not a lot of Ashutosh Priyadarshis out there. <laughs> well said. I'll make sure to put all that into the show notes for everybody who's listening on the podcast. But uh, this has been really good, really educational. So thank you so much for coming in, Ashutosh. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for the conversation, Matt. Absolutely. Pleasure is mine. For everybody else, make sure to subscribe. We are constantly talking with really, really innovative and creative people throughout the SaaS world. So we're always going to be giving you great tips, great tricks so that you can do what you need to do. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.